Well, I can't believe how fast this year is going. (laughs) And before too long, we're going to be done with February going into March because, of course, we have Ash Wednesday coming up on March 2nd. And today is February 20th, so we continually march on through the pre-Lenten season. And when I think about uh, the opportunities that that Lent brings uh, for us to actually grow, you know, because if you're not growing and you're just stagnant, then then you kind of have to call into question, okay, well, what are you doing? How are you living your life? How are you walking that, that walk? And, and it reminds me of back during um, COVID when we were completely shut down and all of a sudden I found a little bit of extra money to do things like getting a fence built, getting grass planted, uh, because our, our front yard was just absolutely atrocious and, and I, I don't really have a green thumb. Uh, so what I really rely on is a good hardy grass. So we went ahead and got Palisade Zoysia. That stuff's pretty much bulletproof. You know, we, we had St. Augustine, but unless you continually water it, it's just going to die. You know, St. Augustine is more suitable for, uh, for Houston <laughs> or maybe Florida, where, where it came from originally. But the one thing I remember is that um, the gentleman who planted the sod, uh, what they had to do first is lay out nutrient-rich soil. And that way, when they laid out the sod, the, the squares, and rolled over it, leveled it out, I had to simply water the heck out of it. But, but it relied on that nutrient-rich soil and the sunlight and the water so that it could take root and it could grow and thrive. Now, I still need to do some work with it. I need to uh, spray some miracle grow uh, for, for grass on there, rake it to kind of aerate it a bit. So there's still some things I have to do. But the one thing that that grass needed more than anything was it needed nutrient-rich soil along with everything else that causes it to, to grow. So then the question remains is when we think of our own walk with Christ, the lives that we live in the Lord Jesus Christ, that begs the question, what is the condition of our own soil, the soil of our hearts? Because this question has both implications for our personal examination, but also even when it comes to evangelism, because we've all been sent to make disciples of all nations. And, and I think this is particularly pertinent for, for those that are about to be sent off uh, to, to the army. All right, so we're going to begin with, um, just to put this in context a little bit, uh, a couple of things that Saints Peter and Paul said. St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Those are very sobering words. And then St. Peter wrote in the second epistle, chapter one, verses 10 through 11, therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail or will never fall rather. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that as a backdrop, let's now go to our gospel lesson for this morning. And that's found on page 121 in your prayer book if you're following along. And uh, we're going to be in in St. Luke uh, chapter 8. And we will begin with the fourth verse. 
And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded an hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And Jesus told the parable He told the parable in such a way that it completely caught the disciples off guard. So he simply, they simply asked that question. Okay, well, why are you speaking in parables? Okay, and that's when Jesus said that, okay, it's already been granted to them to understand the secrets. And secrets in the Greek is the word mysterion from which we get the mysteries. Okay, and what are these mysteries? The thoughts and plans which are hidden from human reason as well as from all other comprehension that's below the divine level, the level of God, and await either fulfillment or await revelation to those for whom they are intended. And these are the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which the disciples would not fully comprehend until after the resurrection. And we even read about that in the end of St. Luke's Gospel, In chapter 24, verse 27, where our Lord said, and beginning with uh, when St. Luke wrote, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's when he revealed it. And then ultimately it would take the culmination of Pentecost to fully unlock the power to energize their, their witness. So let's talk about now the seed that was sown. Let's pick up with verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Let's stop there for a moment. St. Luke, what was he emphasizing? He emphasized that the gospel message the disciples proclaimed in which he was writing has God as its source. God is the source of that seed, not human beings. And we read about that also in St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 13, where I read, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really was, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And then we would read later in the book of Acts, the word will be used without any qualification as to its source. And an example of that would be Acts chapter four, verse four. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And what was the message of the word? Well, in two verses earlier in Acts chapter four, verse two, we read, 
And they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. St. Luke did not mention the sower necessarily in the interpretation because the seed that was sown was God's word. And St. Luke probably understood the sower is representing every preacher of God's word. Because remember, when we go forth and proclaim the gospel, we are also scattering the seed. Because what is that message? What is that word that we proclaim? It is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, pure and simple. And a great verse to reflect on would be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is where the apostle wrote. These are the basics here. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So that is the essence of the gospel that we proclaim. That is the seed that is sown. That is the word. Let's now consider the condition of the soil. And he actually explained the different types of soil, beginning with verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The late venerable Melville Scott, he was the archdeacon of Stafford in the late 1800s, referred to the manifold dangers of the Christian life. Because remember, at that time, in the late 1800s in Great Britain, it wasn't like what it was today. Back then, it was very much a Christian culture. It kind of reminds me of what America was like maybe 20 years ago when one of my teammates has said, well, I'm a Christian because I'm an American, right? Well, is that what it takes to, to get into heaven? No. Okay. So there, there were a lot of assumptions that were being made and he explained the dangers in this way. The first danger he described as the danger of careless hearing. This lies at the threshold of the Christian life, especially when I say cultural Christian life and prevents even the entrance of the good seed. The word enters the ear, but never reaches the heart and quickly passes away even from memory. Being taught, being caught away by the spirit of the evil of this age or being crushed by the fresh tramplings of worldliness. That's what Venerable Scott said. And when we consider our own society where we live now, even as wicked as we become, we still see and hear the word transmitted. We hear it transmitted on the airwaves. We see it even on billboards from time to time. And even shopping malls, we actually hear these classic Christian carols. And we hear that once a year at places like Lock and Terror and North Star Mall. 
And in fact, if you stay in most hotel chains, you can actually still reach for a Gideon's Bible in your nightstand. In fact, every time I go, I look and check to see if one's there. I think in part because when I was in Montana and had a lot of spare time, I was a Gideon for for a season. But still, there are many who are blinded by the truth. Okay, and why is that exactly? Well, St. Paul explains that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, so there are many who hear the word, see the word, but they do not respond to, to the word because that seed fell just by, by, by the wayside. And the bird, the birds, the enemy of our souls simply took that away. Okay, in contrast, we have the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root and they believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. And that's in verse 13. So this is where Melville Scott talked about the danger of trial. And this is what he said about that. Trial and temptation mark a crisis in the Christian life. And like the fierce sunshine scorched the shallow hearted, while they only ripen those deeply rooted. By these, the principles of all are tested but especially those of the young. Youth, the time of receptivity and the time of promise is also the season of the most deadly temptation. And I think we see more of that temptation now than we've ever seen before, especially since everyone is connected through various forms of social media and even social gaming. And this is why we need to continually, all of us need to reinforce what our children have been taught, whether we taught it perfectly or not. Above all else, though, never give up, especially if you happen to have children who may have strayed. You know, after all, did St. Monica give up on St. Augustine? No. And she didn't even give up on Patriarchus, her husband. You know, she prayed and prayed and prayed, and he became eventually... St. Augustine, or Augustine, if you will, the doctor of the church. Powerful are the prayers of a praying mother. Let's go to verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of the life, of this life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay, so this is about the dangers of prosperity. And these come with cares, riches, and pleasures of later years, even when the seed has found lodgment and the blade has been given promise. The plant of grace cannot be grown in a thicket of worldliness, which shuts out God's light and air. And uh, when I read that, what Melville Scott wrote, I'm thinking the spirit, very likely what he meant. These dangers are found as men go on their way and against them we pray in the litany and hear the words of the litany on Ash Wednesday in all time of our wealth. Good Lord, deliver us. 
And let's face it, we do live in a prosperous society. And before we all of a sudden sigh and say, see, that's why we can't have nice things. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Because we have to understand that wealth in and of itself is not evil. But the love of wealth is the root of evil because we cannot serve both God and money. And for those who have been blessed with wealth, use it to the glory of God. Because it's great to be good stewards. It's great to, to have, have a good career. And, and especially for, for those who seem to have the Midas touch. Uh, in fact, I know a couple of people uh, that I've gone to church with over the years. Uh, one of them by the name of Tony. It seemed like everything he touched turned to gold. And for all the wealth that he had, he couldn't give it away fast enough and would acquire more of it. He was just that, that good at it. And then there's another... Another one who invented these hospital beds, uh, Leininger is his name, same thing. Just very, very wealthy, but also very godly and would pretty much give it away as much as he would earn it. So, so, so it's not wealth and prosperity that's the problem. It's the condition of our hearts. That's what the issue is. So that's why we rely on having good soil. Much like the grass that I planted in good soil. Let's pick up with verse 15. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And about that, Melville also wrote, there are no hearts by nature good ground. Okay, to that I say amen. Because we are fallen creatures. We are desperately in need of grace. He went on. Those that are such have been made by the plowshare of God's grace. Beautiful words. By his deepening of our shallow soil, by his cleansing processes, even the good ground hearers should advance in fruitfulness and will even like the bending ear of the wheat stalk become more humble as they ripen. Here is therefore reason both for earnest effort and constant humility that we may hear, hold fast to what we have heard, and bring forth fruit with patience. Because that's what we are called to do as Christians, is to bear fruit in our lives, making the most of every opportunity to proclaim the gospel, because the days are evil. And and looking for every opportunity when we're at the market, when we're at work, uh, wherever we are, even in talking to our children, even when talking to one another, we need to be continually reminded of the gospel. That's what we need to do. That's what we are called to do, to bear fruit for the kingdom as we sow the seed, the word of God, the gospel, but not in our own strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results up to God because he, after all, is the one who brings the increase. So as we draw closer to Lent, and next week will be Quinquagesima, let us continually examine the condition of our own soil and pray for the Holy Spirit to renew us and empower us to sow the seed faithfully and bear fruit that will remain for all eternity to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive.